all the journeys will be different. And so we're just trying to learn as we go and make the best decisions. But if we look back in five years, maybe we're wrong. But I think the best thing is that I didn't just sit here and let it go away. And so it's your own career. It's your own journey. So take control of it. everyone. Welcome back to the It's Material World podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different. It's a host-only episode. And we basically had our team put together questions about careers in MSC, life after school, talking about strategies to be successful in our industry jobs. So we're basically going to share a little bit without getting into proprietary info about our jobs what steps we can take, you know, to gauge success in our role and just other advice that are kind of frequently asked questions in the MSE space. So David, before we begin, just wanted to check in, you know, see how things are going. Cause I think you've now just crossed the one month threshold of starting full-time at Tesla, but you've been working there for a little while when you count co-ops and internships and everything. It's going pretty good. Busy as always. There's a recent announcement that they just moved the engineering headquarters back to California. So that's exciting, but don't really know what that means yet. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you're not going to be traveling to Texas or wherever as frequently? They're, they still have all the manufacturing in Texas and other places. So okay. we'll find out more in the coming days. But <laughs> so far, just trying to get back into the groove of things catch up to speed with everything and then start contributing. So getting busier every day, for sure. (laughs) Oh, same, same. Yeah, I think things are ramping up here at Boston Scientific too. Um, We just had like our end of year review. So there's a lot of things kind of in the works for, for this year, which I'm excited about. And maybe we'll talk about that today. But to start the the episode, our first question is we've both been working for just over a year now, if we count internships, co-ops, et cetera. What continues to be exciting in both of your jobs? What do you think, or what do you most look forward to during the average workday? I think that, at least for myself, every day is a new challenge, but I think that I learn something every day and just the act of growing from that. So every day is a new challenge. Every day you learn something and the kind of the theory behind it is that if you fail, that's okay, but you have to fail fast and figure something out from that. And so that's kind of like the motto is that we can do things and we can fail at them. But as long as you know the root cause and why, it wasn't a wasted day. And so I think that that's something enjoyable is that no day is the same. And it's not like we're repeating the same thing, not learning anything, because that would be very like time consuming and tedious, (laughs) which would not be very fun. (laughs) And so I think as I work on more an R&D pilot line, we, I see the end goal of like mass production. And so trying to get there every day is like we have to overcome so many hurdles and uh, figure out so many issues. And so there's always things for me to do. And I don't ever feel like I'll be bored doing it. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. I feel like within my design assurance engineer type role in the medical device space, there is like a new project every week or a new task to, to juggle. And in terms of what continues to be exciting in my job, I feel like it's the constant growth opportunities. You know, I feel like I lucked into a role in a group that really values my professional growth, right? And so they will specifically look out for opportunities for me 
that are new, you know, so I'm not doing the same thing or something that I've already done in the past, but I get to talk through potential opportunities that are exciting for me and even potentially like side projects too, that might not be directly correlated to my role. In the past, I've done some marketing related projects because I had an interest in, in the business side of things and wanted to see what that looks like for, you know, a billion dollar company in the medical device space. And that was cool. And then in these projects, I get to take more ownership, right? You know, not just asking my manager for advice for every little thing, but being able to, like you said, make those decisions if they don't work out, learning from it, moving on and moving the project forward. So that's honestly what I look forward to the most on on an average workday is just knowing that I have something new to do and that I have projects that I can take full ownership of, you know, and be that representative from the design engineering side on these cross-functional projects, because pretty much all the projects that I work on, they have the R&D component, you know, manufacturing, supplier engineering, et cetera. So just being able to interface with all of those types of functions and learn more about what I can do to provide value to the group has been constant learning opportunity, but something I really enjoy. Well, maybe we can move on to the next question then. And how much of what you learned while obtaining your MSc degree do you apply on a daily basis at work? How much of your job is the skills you gained outside of school? That's a good question. I feel like I'm going to offer like just a little bit of a different perspective than kind of what I assumed going into my first role. But my job utilizes primarily like problem solving general engineering skills and then in some instances, I get to provide like that unique background from the material side. You know, a lot of Boston Scientific is mechanical engineers, biomedical engineers. And so there are instances when it's a materials related project where I get to offer that different perspective of, you know, my knowledge of structure, property relationships, processing, and the combination of like what I know is useful, what properties are useful for this medical device that I'm working on. But for the most part, it is a lot of just like soft skills and and general problem solving skills, being able to communicate with other functions, understand their motivations, and then project management skills as well. And then just figuring out deadlines, obstacles that need to be overcome. Honestly, from the design assurance side, it's really new to me, not a ton of depth from my MSc degree, but it like the general principles apply. And I think that the soft skills that I learned from like material advantage and the other clubs that I was in, that played also a significant role in being able to be successful in my current role. I know you probably have a different perspective in the battery division, right, at Tesla. So I just wanted to hear how much of your technical skills, MSE specific concepts do you apply on a day-to-day basis? Kind of what I was saying before is that every day is a new challenge. And so it's a range from using it a lot to not really using it at all. And so it's kind of just where we are in the process. And so when we have issues with machinery or the actual like material coming out of the machine is not up to quality, then it's a materials problem or a mechanical issue. And so then I can use some of the skills I found from my degree. So using material selection or doing some basic like deformable bodies or things like that, uh, heat flow, very basic ideas can give me an idea of where to go or at least understand what other people are trying to challenge and tackle with their solutions. Then when things are more stable, I use 
skills that I learned outside of school. So that would be more like data science and data analytics, where now that we have something that's more stable and we don't have so many issues, now we have to understand how the machine is working and do uh, statistical process control, which one of our guests recently talked about. And so working on that is more understanding like the actual machine, like what does it mean for machine value X to be Y and how does that vary over time? And then plotting things with like a Six Sigma approach with finding the standard deviations to find the fitting. So that's very much stuff that I didn't learn in school, but I learned outside in other internships and just from basically Googling things. So overall, I would say it just depends on what challenge we're taking on. And so it comes and goes. Sometimes I have projects which are basically all material science and like material selection issues. And then sometimes I don't need it at all. But whenever there is an issue that comes up, I can always rely on some of the fundamental general engineering principles that I was taught to at least get a frame point and tackle it. So it's kind of the range. And But at the very end of the day, I agree with what you're saying is that we'll always use the general engineering that we've learned as the backbone for how we tackle any uh, challenge, no matter what skills needed. Yeah, that's why first principles are so important. And I think previous guests have really harped on that. That kind of ties into a question. I'm going out a little bit out of order here, David, but there's a question. Are there any particular skills you wish you had you'd learned earlier in your career that you may have had to pick up quickly to succeed at your current role? I know you mentioned you know, some of that, that data science, statistical process controls, et cetera. I think for me specifically, it, it comes statistical analysis was the one that really came to mind, you know, learning about process capability, like normality screening, t-tests, you know, like this was stuff I learned in AP stats, but having to actually apply it into the industry into like specific situations was something that was sought after in job interviews. You know, it, it was part of those like preferred qualifications. So I just wish that I knew that well more well in advance. Like it doesn't seem like this is specific to design assurance quality. You know, it's clearly a part of manufacturing as well and R&D. So I wish that that was something that I had at least picked up or tried out, not just like in Excel, but Minitab and getting access to other softwares as well that are commonly used in the med device space. Is there anything else that you wish you had learned earlier in your career that you had to kind of learn on the fly at Tesla? Yeah, I think that I kind of saw the writing on the wall about which direction I want to go to. So during my master's, I did a lot of statistical-based classes. So like nine of my 20 or nine of my 30 credits were more stats-based. And so I tried to prepare myself that way. But I think just still today, when I work on coding, like I know I don't do it the most efficient. And then I also know that like it's not the cleanest or the perfect analysis, but getting there is the, the basics is fine enough. But I think the three main things that I would have liked more information on is first just like data science, like uh, more coding. So you understand how data structures are made, what makes a good data structure for like more specific with SQL, like how to make a good schema, how to link schemas together, how to link tables together, et cetera, like best practices for that. And then uh, the second would be data visualization. So actually showing what you want to show. There is somewhat of an art to it. So you just have to make sure that you're telling, it's like storytelling is that you're telling the right story and it makes sense. And then the last one would just be, I would have probably wanted 
more knowledge about manufacturing in general. And so the actual like mechanics I've had to pick up on the job about like, I don't really know what a cylinder is. Like there's these rolls and there's cylinders and like they control like how the rolls move, but I don't physically knew how that happened before I started working here. And so just like more mechanical information about the actual systems would have also been nice. So I think those big three things that I do currently have either come from like being heavily focused on it and mindful of it as I went to my next degree or just by picking up at my job. Yeah, I agree. I feel like with undergrad, it was a breadth of topics that we covered. And essentially, it seemed like to me after reflecting on it, the goal with undergrad is really to learn how to learn, you know, like learn how to pick up things quickly and then be able to just apply those fundamental principles to the specific industry that we end up in. It was probably maybe like 1% of the job. I feel like that I knew going into it and then like 99% was just me learning kind of on the fly. But I think that's the point of undergrad. And then as you pursue more advanced degrees, master's, PhD, then you specialize more and then you can potentially apply that into your next position, um, whether that's in academia or industry. This next question is about MSEs and more senior roles. What have we observed about senior engineers with MSE backgrounds? Does that higher seniority come with more science-focused work or less? What has it been like for you? Yeah, I think my view is a little skewed because I'm in an R&D space, but all of my my boss is an MSE. And so he's like super technical, but still has like some managerial work. And so I would say that as you go in seniority, it becomes more science focused while also adding like trying to guide other engineers as well. So I think that's like a special case because that is kind of the point of the job because he's an R&D. He has to understand how things work to be able to lead his team. I would also say that I have noticed a lot of MSEs have switched roles when they get more senior in my company. And so I see that a lot of MSCs come in, they're more engineers like process or quality or other types of engineers that are more MSC based. But as they get higher up, they learn skills and they kind of switch. So I know a few that have gone more into the data analytics and a few that have gone more into like the metrology, which is like the act of measuring. And so not really like MSC based, but they can fill other roles that are technical as well, just in different capabilities. So I thought that was also interesting. Yeah, for sure. I've seen that versatility too here at Boston Scientific. One thing that I noticed kind of going in is generally like, at least with my group, I can't say for the company as a whole, but we have, I think, four MSEs in our group alone, you know, from the design assurance side and including my manager, right? That is just one thing that I noticed was that compared to R&D, it seemed like there was more MSEs in the design assurance side and in the manufacturing side in particular. So for anybody interested in medical devices, just keep that in mind. That was one of the obstacles I reached or kind of one of the learnings I had in my job search process is figuring out what roles I might have a better chance of getting into or moving forward in that process just naturally. But in terms of more senior roles, I think it's like two different pathways. Like there's clearly like once you hit senior engineer um, past that, you can go into principal engineering and then you can go into like a fellow type role, whether that's R&D fellow, quality fellow, et cetera, or you can kind of follow that people management route. 
where you're leading a group of people and it's more project management while offering your advice, but not kind of getting into the nitty gritty. Whereas that fellow is like, you know, very much like hands-on. You're not really leading a group of people. You might be supervising one or two, but you're still very technically focused on a day-to-day basis. But I will say that even when you get into that kind of management route, you still have to have that strong technical background as well. You have to have that knowledge base to be able to guide your group and find success, right? And be able to move projects forward, especially in that like managerial type role. So in at Boston Scientific, I would say in terms of like the technical work, you have those two pathways, like it's kind of up to you and you have a while to figure that out on your own. That's it for that question. The next one is about gauging your success in your role. What steps can you take to periodically monitor your success, reflect on it? Do you have any initial thoughts? I was thinking maybe we can split it into like when you first start, you know, your first 90 days and then after that, because I feel like those are two different ways to to measure success. As Finith mentioned, I just started this role. And so I guess I am within my first 90 days, but I had already been there for eight months prior. So it was like I already knew what I was doing. The first time around, I would say, just setting up one-on-ones with your manager and asking him like, oh, is there anything else I should work on? Like what skills or what things should I learn to help me with this role? And just checking in with them because they'll know the best about what you need to do better or what you need to learn to be more successful. So I think that was helpful for myself when I first started was just meeting with him every week and talking about what I was working on and getting his feedback and input. I think for the first 90 days now, it's kind of the same, except I already kind of know what I'm doing. And so (laughs) I think that the latency period of like me not contributing has been lower because now I, I know exactly the issue. Like I know what I can work on. I can jump right into it. So now it's more just hey, these are the results of what I did the past week. Uh, I think these are the next steps. And he's just like, yep, sounds good. Or you should do this. And so then you can always ask him like, oh, should I be doing any more? But really, as you become more comfortable, you can stop asking that question because any good manager will trust you and just (laughs) let you... Um, as a, there's a few people in my work that proverbially say, let them cook. <laughs> <laughs> let them cook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that we can take that stance because they hired you because they believe in you and they trust in you. And so just have confidence in yourself and, uh, know that you're doing the right thing, but it's always good to check in, uh, every once in a while to like, make sure that like, this is still a valuable path. Like, should I be focusing on like a different project, et cetera. Yeah. And the best thing to do there, I feel like is, or they want you to be like an independent contributor. You don't have to be that right away. Right. But what I was told is that essentially when you get hired, you want to give ROI of two to three X basically. So like the assumption is that it'll take you six months to get like fully trained, onboarded enough to be like an independent individual contributor, take ownership of projects, you know, at least be a a contributor to to team projects. And then, you know, it'd be great if you can stick on that team for 18 months, right? If it takes six months, then, you know, 12 to 18 months would be a great time before reevaluating and figuring out what is your like next path for professional growth. And so that then translates to how do you periodically gauge success in your role? It really just comes down to asking your manager, like that's what I did right away was you know, what does success look like in these first 90 days? 
And, you know, for my manager basically said it was just, you know, continue to learn, right? Like do all your trainings, right? Um, but then just be willing to ask questions. There's no such thing as a dumb question and find your network. What I wanted to do right away was not be the one that's constantly asking questions to my manager, but instead there's going to be obstacles that I run into naturally um, upon like that first time running into this issue. And so to be able to build that network, I like had one-on-ones with other people on my team, but also other functions as well. And that really helped where I could ask questions and not just kind of have a laundry list of things for my supervisor, for my manager every weekly one-on-one. So that's just a key recommendation there. And then after those 90 days, those first 90 days is really just like, how do you continuously grow into just an independent contributor? And then after that, we have quarterly reviews where it's the one-on-one where it's reflection on what went well and then areas for growth and just taking that time, maybe not even quarterly, but more frequently than that to just figure out what has been working for you and then where would you like to personally improve? Um, And then your supervisor will offer feedback as well. Yeah, I I think that it's very dependent from individual to individual and it's really dependent on where do I want to grow personally and what is my long-term vision for my professional career? Anything else to add there before we go to the next question? For for you, right, you're saying that you want to be basically not pester your boss, right? I think that something maybe you could share would be, what do you think is a good scale? Like, is this important enough to ask my boss? And is this not? Because I'm sure some people could really struggle with like, I don't want to annoy them, but at the same time, I don't know if this is important or not. So what's your advice on that? Yeah, I would th- I would say that the first criteria is, it's just a, a series of questions, like if then statements, conditionals, right? Where it's like, can I figure this out on my own? What resources do I have at my disposal? You know, we have like a wiki page for design controls and like frequently asked questions and everything like that. Work instructions, SOPs that are, the system was made for this type of thing. So can I check that first, right? And then can I get my question answered through that? If not, if it's very specific, then do I know anybody else other than my manager that can answer this question that I can reach out to get a quick response and move forward with my project? And then third, it's just that question like, is this urgent? Does this impede from me accomplishing my tasks to move forward in the projects that, I, that I'm responsible for? And if it is an inhibitor, then that is where I write that question down. If it's super urgent, then that is where I have a quick call or a quick message with my supervisor or manager. If it's not super urgent, then save it for the one-on-one. So again, that, that one-on-one is their time to help you, you know, guide you and ask critical questions to mentor you. So it's just kind of that series of questions that I lay out in my head, if I answered your question correctly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think the only thing I'd add is that, sure, I think any of us are smart enough to figure it out eventually. But if that eventually is going to be like a year, just just ask the question. It's there's there's a fine line between being independent and solving your own issues and wasting time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Banging your head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be doing that. Yeah. (laughs) And plus they want to help. Right. So don't feel like you're being bothersome, you know, but just like it's a good practice, right? To try and figure it out on your own or utilize the resources at your disposal first. It's good for critical thinking and it helps with the growth. Okay, next question. How specifically do your current roles help develop your soft and hard skills? 
Are there opportunities for you to refine or improve upon all of the skills that you're interested in? Double question there. I'll let you take that first. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll take that first part first. Does my current role help me develop my soft and hard skills? I would say that it's definitely what role you are in. So since I'm in an R&D manufacturing role, of course, it's going to help me with my hard skills. <laughs> I think that you're surrounded by subject matter experts in a bunch of different technical fields. Of course, you'll learn how the machine works and like all of the technology and all of the different types of fundamentals, MSE, mechanical, electrical, software controls that come around the machine. And so I think that my current role really helps my hard skills. I think that it's where I'm at is that the soft skills are not so stressed. And so you do have to be able to communicate and coordinate and work as a team, but it's not like I'm managing anybody yet. And I also think that as you grow more senior, then you'll start working on that management as well. And so I think that from my current standpoint, the hard skills are much more important to develop. And that's what is being stressed than my soft skills. But beyond that, I think that soft skills are always important. And so I would have to work on that more individually because it's not super stressed in the job and it's not like they're giving me soft skills training, really. So I think that it's just kind of a function of your job. What about yours? I agree with that concept, right? Like you can't really have soft skills training. You know, I guess you can have like leadership training and and things like that, but it just is kind of a byproduct of gaining experiences in your role. Interestingly enough, I felt like I had the opposite emphasis in my role from the DA standpoint. Just naturally, it's a lot of cross-functional communication, identifying what other functions want, but then also kind of offering my perspective on, you know, how do we ensure that this is a safe product that is going to meet all of the regulations and the product specs design requirements that that we're setting for the device and ultimately be beneficial for the user and the patient. And so with that, I am working very heavily with R&D um, and then in various projects, the, the other functions, they vary. And so just naturally through those experiences, through each of those projects, I felt like that almost stressed my soft skills more than my hard skills. And the hard skills is something that I would have to put additional emphasis on kind of outside of my traditional role to really learn the ins and outs of the product, you know, how it's manufactured, et cetera. So for you, right, like Gemba walks are, are just, you know, just walking the floor, right? Like that's just, you know, a product of your role. Whereas for me, it, it would be something that I would have to make time for outside of my traditional work responsibilities, but it is helpful, you know, and also just like taking time to learn like the clinical side of things. How is our product used? In what situations is it used like in a procedure? Just being able to understand all of that is more of like the hard technical skills from my point of view, but the soft skills just come with the role. I do feel like I have opportunities to improve on all of those skills that I am interested in. It just takes that reflection and then being able to take that to my supervisor and be like, hey, I would like an opportunity to work on like the development of a new product or to be able to interact with physicians or to be able to work with my clinical functional counterpart. And then those projects kind of just like naturally arise. So that's how I would answer. Honestly, it's stressed more of like the soft skills because I was fortunate enough, even in my role, to be able to kind of just jump into a project that was ongoing and take on a leadership role. And that's where I felt like I grew a lot from the project management side, which isn't 
supernatural to my given design assurance role, but I was given that opportunity to lead a huge cross-functional group and be able to try to identify the root cause, you know, weigh everybody's motivations, their priorities, et cetera, and try to get everybody kind of on board, like-minded towards achieving that goal. Yeah, that's kind of how I would answer that. Do you have anything to add before we move on? I think that something that resonates is just that soft skills are kind of a function of time. And so as you talk to other teams, you'll understand better how you communicate with them and talk to them and overall just work more cohesively as a team. And so you'll never work alone. And when you do work with other teams, I think that's a great learning point. But yeah, it's kind of hard to do leadership training. And so it's more, more of a function of time. Yeah. You can't really take like a computer training and then that's like sufficient. Like I'm a great leader now. No, it's just, yeah, it comes with experience, I would say. But one thing I would recommend, and this is something I've been doing or emphasized more over the past three, four months is just documenting those learnings, both from the technical side and the soft skills side. Just like I have it in a OneNote page, anything that is new to me, something that I hadn't thought about when I go to my supervisor or whatever, being like, hey, this is like the plan that I laid out. Here are all the things that I kept in mind to ensure we had a comprehensive analysis and that we've considered everything. Am I missing anything? And, you know, maybe he'll offer something new or he'll give me another question to think about. And then that'll be like an additional learning for me. And then I'll document that. It just helps. I think the best thing that you can do is just try not to make the same mistake twice, you know? And so that just helps when you're really just like, you take that extra moment to write down those additional learnings. It really helps to not make that same mistake twice. But I felt like the last thing that you had said from the leadership standpoint applies to our penultimate question. How applicable are the skills that you learned in extracurriculars at school? You know, like material advantage for me, the mill for you and all other clubs. Anything more that you wish you did in undergrad or your master's while in school? Take more breaks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that school is always like a good kind of taster for what it would be like. And so like from you said, I worked at the mill, which is a characterization lab basically. And so I got very familiar with the tools of the trade and it's very useful to understand like what each one does, how we use it and what it can tell us. And so I would say that that's very applicable but now in my role, I don't really do those things. I submit it to a lab that does it for me, but it's so important to be able to understand how they would run the test, some pitfalls with the test, and how I would run the test to make sure that I get the result that I'm looking for, or at least information about a certain point of material I'm submitting. But other than that, I think that your extracurriculars are a great way to understand what you want and not like fully prepare you for the job because it is just kind of a side gig. So you can do a consulting to understand if you like consulting, you can do, there's a bunch of different like societies of engineers to give you tours of plants. But I think that these are all just great tasters to understand what's out there, what it would be like, things of that nature. And in no way, shape or form is it like, okay, if I do this extracurricular, I'm gonna be hundred percent prepared for the role because everything is so unique. Everything's so different and it's all going to be trying to learn more about your subject as you grow in the role, which is expected. No one expects you to be a 100% master when you join. And in addition to that, I feel like the extracurriculars in particular for me, material advantage really just kind of 
gave me the confidence or just the confidence and like the understanding that I can work well in a team and I can lead a team if necessary. And so that really, for me, translated most of the soft skills more so than the hard skills. But then, like you said, the mill material innovation and learning laboratory was a great way to just get a fundamental understanding and hands-on experience with a bunch of materials testing and characterization equipment. And same at Boston Scientific, you know, we submit those tests to MTAC, materials testing and characterization. But having that understanding of, you know, these SEM images, EDS, XRD, et cetera, really helped. And I felt like I was able to ask better questions than maybe some other like biomedical or mechanical counterparts because of that fundamental understanding of those equipment. In terms of anything more that I wish I did in undergrad or master's, I just wish I would have started like networking honestly earlier. Like I, I did it a lot, maybe my last couple of years to really try to figure out what path I wanted to follow because MSC is such a versatile space. And so being able to chat with peers that like are one or two years above me, gain their advice learn more about their experiences and their various internships and figure out what resonates with me the most would have helped me kind of just like carve out that path and maybe a more efficient way. But I'm definitely not mad at, at the path that I took because I got some cool polymers experience, aerospace experience, med device with our capstone experience. And that ultimately led me to where I am today. But yeah, let's wrap it up with our final question. In my experiences with internships, you're assigned prearranged tasks or projects even if you perform these well, I find it difficult to distinguish myself to superiors or managers. Is this different with full-time roles? How can you identify and embed yourself in opportunities to gain recognition or a promotion? I can take that first part if you want Sure. I take the second part. <laughs> sure. Well, coming from someone who did an internship and got converted to a full-time, I think that it's very hard for some companies to be able to plan for an internship project. So the tasks that they do arrange for you or projects that they do arrange for you are one step of it. Those are designed to help you get acclimated to the company, your role, the people around you on your team, and kind of like the useful skills and knowledge you need. But I think that where I've been able to set myself apart from passengerships is sitting down with my boss and saying, this is something I'm interested in. Let's make a new project together. And so something beyond just what they planned. And so at Equifax, I wanted to do a machine learning model. And so we sat down and we made a plan and I worked on it and we were able to accomplish it. But that was not originally in the plan. It was something that I had to sit down with my supervisor and say, this is something I'm interested in. And that's something I've gotten as advice from a lot of other full-time employees is this is your internship. Like it is for us, but it's also for you. And so you can be very explicit about what you want to do and learn here. Uh, you don't have to just take whatever they give you. So I would just say that to stand out, finding something that you're interested in and then going beyond just what they set out for you are like a good way to one, figure out if this is something you like to be able to see, oh, how far can I take this project and run with it? And three shows like initiative to the point where they would consider you as a full-time because that's kind of your role as a full-time is not just take pre-assigned tasks and do them, is to identify issues and solve them. Uh, I think that's what's helped me stand out and get committed to a full-time. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like with internships too, I just definitely agree with that sentiment. With uh, my GE internship, that was during the COVID year. So our internship you know, became remote and it became shortened. And so with that, 
it became a lot of seminars and um, a group project at the end, right? But I set goals beforehand to really try to make the most of that internship and leverage the network within GE to kind of learn some of the skills that I wanted to. And one of those was learning more about business cases. What does that look like in determining, like, should we move forward with a project or, you know, a specific, let's say an additive part, right? Like moving forward with that over the traditional method, what does that decision-making process look like? What questions need to be answered? And so I utilized my network and one-on-ones informational interviews and ultimately like found someone who's willing to like have those conversations with me. And I worked on that after the traditional nine to five, right? But I didn't have anything better to do during COVID. So it was worth it at that point. But just being able to think through that critically, I felt was one of the most rewarding experiences of that internship. So to translate that into full-time roles, I will say it's different though, because they're you're there with them long-term. So they want to invest in you finding ways or like ways that you're motivated by, ways that you want to grow personally and professionally, and they want you to stick around long-term. So they're willing to find those opportunities for you. And they know you don't just have three months, you have a longer period of time to be able to like achieve those goals. In terms of how can you identify and embed yourself in opportunities to gain recognition or a promotion? One, it just comes with asking like, hey, here's where I'm at. Let's say if I'm an engineer one, right? What is an engineer two? What traits do they have? What experiences do they have? What more do I need to do to reach that status? That's just like a very simple question that lets a manager supervisor know that you're eyeing that promotion, but you ultimately want to grow into that role and you want to figure out how to fill in those gaps. One thing that I was kind of given an opportunity to do, but I would just recommend if you don't have that opportunity naturally, is to ask to be kind of that representative at these larger meetings, you know, like for us, like review boards, right? Where we get to speak in front of directors, managers of of all functions and speak about the products that I'm working on. How is it performing? What is the status updates for our investigations and, and just moving them forward? That has helped really expand my network and gain more recognition. And people have been like impressed with my speaking ability or public speaking or presentation skills. You know, and then that helps with gaining recognition. And then when you get more people who just like talk about you or support kind of like what you're doing, then that helps in ultimately attaining that promotion. Do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I think that how do you identify opportunities? It's really just knowing the main pain points of an issue. And so that comes with experiences that eventually you'll be able to kind of be able to see like, oh, I think this is a super valuable tool let me work on it or, oh, I think this is going to be not so valuable or something I'm not interested in working on. And so I think a lot of times, at least in like an R&D manufacturing space, people will need help. And so they'll take help if uh, like you offer it. And so there's nothing saying you can't join more projects, but it's a balance of one, is it actually going to be valuable and worth your time? Two, is it actually going to teach you skills that you want to learn in the future? And three, it doesn't impede in your other roles. And so just identifying areas that you find interesting and you think are valuable come with like just more experience in your role to be able to say, this is valuable. I think this is not, I'm going to try to work on this project more. And then just talking to your manager if needed about scheduling around some of your resources to be able to tackle these things that you find interesting almost. Yeah, for sure. And you don't need to rush that. Like, I feel like this is something that 
I face is just trying to kind of like set that bar higher for myself, set a higher standard of myself. But some of those things will, will just come with time and, and more experiences as I get on uh, different projects. But yeah, I totally agree. I think networking also helps there. Just that doesn't stop once I finish my like interview process, right? Just being able to, for instance, talk to the same function, with, but with other products, you know, like for me, like talking to a design assurance engineer with other more established products, I can potentially learn about or just leverage their learnings and apply it to my own product and figure out how can we improve our own processes. I think that's also received super well is when you can ask questions and ask critical questions. You know, why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way to do it? And then going out and just fixing it and improving that process on your own, that's received super well. I know we kind of just talked through a bunch of advice there, but did you have any final conclusions or anything you wanted to share before we wrap up this episode? The main thing is that even though that we're just a year in, it's still we're learning. And so all the journeys will be different. And so we're just trying to learn as we go and make the best decisions. But if we look back in five years, maybe we're wrong. But I think the best thing is that I didn't just sit here and let it go away. And so it's your own career. It's your own journey. So take control of it and don't let basically anything just pass you by if that's what you want to do or you're not satisfied or you're not challenged. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. So we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like, and you haven't already join our discord community, the link will be in the description. Have a great day, everyone. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.